So let's go ahead and open with prayer as we get ready for the word. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity we have to come together. We thank you that we're in a place where we can come together and worship you. We can sing, we can, can minister to the music, and we can also tell others about you, and we thank you for that. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting with verse 5. Whoso keeps the commandments shall fear no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is a time, and judgment thereof, the misery of man is great upon him. For he knows not that which shall be for, be, for who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither has he power in the day of death, and there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. All this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time when one man rules over another to his own hurt. And so I saw the wicked buried. He had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in, in, that, in the city where they had done so, so done. This is also vanity because sentence against the evil work is not exalted, executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of man is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times in his, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But, all, but it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are, in, are as a shadow, because he fears not before God. Here he goes, Solomon's back to a almost dismal point of view that he's, that he's been in for a long time. But he starts out with, there is a purpose or an opportunity and a time for all things. And this was earlier on in this chapter, we had that same thing. There's a time for death, a time for living, a time for a party, a time for, for all these things. And he's repeating this. There is a time for life. Okay? And we've already been talking today about, you know, two upcoming funerals are coming, and each one of those people thought that they had more time, even though both of them were fairly sick in their, in, in their, in their in days, they still did not know the exact time that they were going to pass. And this is what Solomon's saying. There is a time. There is a time for everything. And we make plans as if we're not going to die. All of us do. We're making our plans as if we're not going to die. We're making plans for this week. We're making plans for next week. We're making plans for three weeks, four weeks down the road. Some, I, know, I know one person, he's got plans already out for next summer. Okay? He's planning a really big event for his anniversary, and he's out you know, that far in advance. Okay, uh, and some of us have those kind of plans. We're planning out far, far in advance, and we're hoping that we're going to do them. <laughs> and we're planning to do them. Each one of us after service are planning to go home. And chances are, we will make it. But we have lots of people dying every hour of every day, and every one of them had plans to go do something else. So we look at this and say, these are what's going on. And he goes on here and he goes, they have no power over death. 
when death comes, we're not going to be so able to say, oh, no, God, I'm too busy, I can't go. <laughs> you know, Sorry, God, uh, you know, uh, not, I'm not going, it's not the right time. Uh, I've, got, I've got plans this afternoon, I've got plan, really big plans. God's not going to care. He's not going to care about it. And we all laugh because you know, we all see those kind of things on, on you know, some of the really weird movies where they try to negotiate with death. You know? <laughs> no, not today, I'm not ready. To, you know. When it comes, we have no power over death. We need to be ready for death when it comes. And this is why when we give the gospel message, we tell people today is the day to make a decision for God. Because I've had people tell me, well, you know, when I get older, I'll, I'll make that decision. I'm going, okay, how old is old to start with? And how do you know that you're going to live to be however old you think old is? You know, because you may go, well, I'm going to get saved when I'm 45 and you die at 44. Or even at 24, you never, you never know. And this is what he's saying. You, he's Solomon saying, I've seen this. You don't have power over death. And you don't, I love this thing. And you have no power to be discharged from this war. All right. In other words, this is a war that we're going to go. And what he was referring to is in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 5 and 6, were the rules for the Israelites when they called their people for war. They were to get their people together and they would say, okay, all right, who's too afraid to go to war? You know, who's afraid and they're automatically discharged? Who just got married and hasn't, you know, hasn't been with their wife? They were discharged. Who's just had a child? They, would, they had these list of things that said, these people don't go to war. Solomon's saying, this is a war that you don't get out of. Every single person who is born will be on this world until the day that they are taken out of this world by God. And we want to keep this in mind. God has our plans completely in his hand. We think we make plans, but God is the one who is ultimately in charge. And this is why I keep saying, you know, my favorite verse, as you know, is Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for for those who are called according to the purpose of God. How can I know that he can work things out for good? Because he is absolutely sovereign and he allows only the things that he will allow in my life. And we've said this over and over again. Sometimes we might wish that God would let a few less things into our life. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going, God, I know you say all this is for my good and we know that you're, you're in charge of all this, but could maybe you let less come into my life? And God says, no, I know what I'm doing. He's testing us. Do we believe that he is faithful? Do we believe that he is sovereign? Do we believe that he loves us in spite of whatever comes our way? I love Paul's, uh, Paul's statement in, in his epistle. I have learned to be content in all things. And then he goes on to say, I thank God for the light afflictions that I have gone through in comparison to heaven. <laughs> and we think about Paul's light afflictions. <laughs> Stoned, beat, thrown into prison, chased out of town almost everywhere he goes. You know, light, just light afflictions, you know, just you know, persona non grata everywhere he goes, but no, no big deal. Shipwrecked, in the water, you know, he goes, these are nothing but light afflictions. 
Why was there to him light afflictions? Because he looked to heaven and said, when I get to heaven, I won't remember any of these things. How do we respond when we go through these hard times that we're in the middle of a battle? We are in a war. When we're born, we're in the middle of a spiritual battle. Heaven and hell are in the balance of our decisions. Heaven and hell are in the balance as we go out and we witness to people and we share the gospel. And eventually, when we die, we will stand before either Jesus at the Bema seat and get our rewards for what we allowed him to do through us by accepting him as our Lord and Savior. Or we will stand at the white throne judgment before God the Father and be convicted to hell for eternity. All by our decisions on a short time on this world. We're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle, and we need to be aware that there is a battle going on all around us. A huge battle. Satan's goal is to take as many people away from God as possible. Not that, again, I've said this before, not that he is building a kingdom. When he gets judged and sent into hell, he is not the ruler of hell. He is a prisoner of hell. He's trying to take as many people into hell with him so that he can hurt God by taking people away from the Creator. That's all he's trying to do. He's not trying to build a kingdom for eternity. He is a prisoner for all of eternity. And this is why we're looking at this. Our decision will be heaven or hell. Our decision is to be able to go before God and share him with others so that they can make the decision of heaven and hell. It is a battle, a strong battle that Solomon is recognizing and he says, every single person who is born is going to die. You know, that's, that's a bet. If you want to make a bet on any other thing, you can make a bet that somebody's going to die sometime. <laughs> All right? I, nobody will take you up on that offer, of course. You know, nobody's going to uh, you know, take you up on that bet saying that there's somebody who's not going to die. All of us will die sometime. We don't know whether it's in the next second, the hundred years from now, we don't know when we're going to die, but the one thing we do know, Solomon tells us, the scriptures tell us, we will die. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We know that we're going to face death. It's a guarantee. So I've heard people say, well, if I die, no, it's not if you die, it's when you die. <laughs> okay, we need to be looking at that. What have we done with Christ? is what it's going to come down to because we're not discharged from that battle. And he says that he has seen and replied to my heart under every work that is done under the sun. There is, a time, there is a time when man rules over another to his own hurt. This is kind of an interesting statement because when he's talking about this, oftentimes when this is talking about ruling in a hard way, have you ever had somebody, a boss, or somebody who felt like they could just do whatever they wanted in your life? And they made your life miserable. And they may even have a place for it. Okay? The disciples, when they were walking in their days preaching the gospel, kept being told, don't preach the gospel or we're going we're to punish you. And they kept preaching the gospel and being punished. The government had the right to punish them. It was wrong. But the laws were that they could punish them, and they did. And none of the disciples got up and said, you have no right to punish us. We're doing God's work. What did they say? Thank God I have been found worthy of suffering for Christ. What is our attitude when things go wrong when we're serving God? Most of us tend to grumble and complain. 
The disciples' attitude was, God, thank you. Thank you that I am worthy of suffering. I hope that we can learn that in our lives. I'm as guilty as everybody else about grumbling at times, and I'm sure the disciples grumbled oftentimes as well. But over, what was recorded is, thank you that I have been found worthy. When somebody is ruling over you harshly, they're going to pay a price eventually. Whether it's in this world or at the white throne judgment, they're going to pay a price. Always remember that God has not closed the books while we're on this world. All right? We think about this all the time. Well, God, how come that person is doing all these bad things and they're getting all the money, they're getting all the wealth, they're getting all the renown, and they're just an evil person? And God's saying, I'm being long-suffering. I'm being patient. Maybe they'll get saved at the last moment. I don't know. But God is giving them every bit of time so that when they stand before him, he says, here are all the opportunities you had to turn. There will not be a person standing at the white throne judgment who will look at God and say, I never knew. I never knew I was doing wrong. I never knew. He's going to say, you knew. You know, most of us can remember, if we're as Christians now, we know that when we sin, but let's go back even further. The first time you told your lie, knowing that it was wrong, and yet still doing it. And God's going to say, you knew. You may have hardened your heart over, over a period of time to a place where you can lie without, without having any uh, twinge of guilt or anything, but those first lies you knew were wrong. Those first times that you committed adultery or fornication you knew were wrong. You might harden your heart and get you know, to where you're not paying attention to it after all, but God's not going to look at the time when you've hardened your heart. He's going to go back and say, Way back, way back at the very first time, and second, and third, and fourth, before you hardened your heart, you knew it was wrong. You knew that it was wrong. And this is what we have. These people who are lording it over us, they know it's wrong. They know that it's not right to hurt people, or at least they did at one point in their life. And God will get hold of them either in the right throne judgment, or maybe he'll use their guilt to finally get them to turn to him. You know, we were talking yesterday about the idea, can somebody get saved at the last moment just before they take their last breath? The answer is yes. They won't have much rewards in heaven. You know, and people will doubt that they got saved, but that's between that, that person and God. You know, it doesn't matter who they are. If they turn to God in the last second before they die, it's God's grace. For by grace are we saved, not by works. I could be the best person that's ever walked on the planet of earth, and I'm not. But let's say I was, or I find somebody who is, and they don't know Jesus Christ, they're still going to hell because of their sin. The most awful person out there, if they turn their life to Christ, is going to heaven. And we're in the flesh like, oh, that's not fair, that's not right. We're looking at it from God's state. We all have sinned. We all deserve death. We all deserve hell. And because Jesus died, we can have life. You know, and this is the wonderful thing about God's love. Jesus died on the cross, and the last word he said is, it is finished. In the Greek, what he said, it is completely paid for and done. 
That word that he used is put on the bill when they made their last payment, telestai, paid in full. That is what he said on the cross to the Father, it is paid in full. Sin is paid in full. Now why do people go to hell? Because they reject Jesus Christ. Why do they go to heaven? Because they accept Jesus Christ and put their trust and faith in him. Very simple. One, one or the other, I put every bit of my faith and trust in Jesus or I don't. Doesn't matter, my works don't matter. Now when I get saved, I'm going to produce good works because I am a new creation, I'm a new creature, and God comes into me, he fills me up, he changes who I am, and I start doing good works. But those good works are not what gets me into heaven. Those good works will get me some reward in heaven, and I have no idea what rewards in heaven will mean. It's a perfect place, it's a great place, I don't know what rewards in heaven will mean. We'll all have the perfect job in heaven when we get there. And, you know, I love that idea because I've been very fortunate in my life. I've had several different careers, and every one of them I've enjoyed doing, at least when I started them. And it's been said that if you enjoy your work, you never work a day in your life, and I have really been blessed by not having to work, except in about two jobs. All right? When we get to heaven, we're going to have work to do. And it's going to be the perfect job. And we're going to enjoy it. And it's going to be fun. Whatever it is. And I don't know what kind of work there would be in heaven, but God created us to work. A lot of people think of work as, as the penalty for sin, but why did he, he built the garden in the Garden of Eden and he put Adam and Eve in it to work the garden. It only became a problem after sin when they started getting thorns and thistles and weeds and all these other things that popped up that they now had to get rid of. And then it became torture, not, not what we wanted. And we're told that people will reap. We will reap what we sow. We will have consequence for our actions, good and bad. When we sin, there are consequences for our sin. You're not going to get away from them. I'm not going to get away from them. There are consequences for sin. And God says it's part of the reaping and sowing. And, so, and we always reap more than we sow. That's one of, the, one of the problems that we have. We do one sin and God sends all kinds of pain our way for that. And we know that, you know. Uh, I'm not much of a gardener, but I know that when you plant a seed and you get that plant coming up, you expect to get more than one seed back. Okay? I planted my pea and here's my one pea back is not what I'm looking for. All right? I'm looking for several pea pods on my plant. <laughs> on my plant, not just one. I plant my apple seed, I'm looking for a great big tree that's going to have more than one apple on it. You know, here, here we go, I planted my one, my one seed and here's my one seed back. We, we laugh about that because we know in the physical that's not true, but in the spiritual realm it's the same thing. I plant a good or a bad seed and God gives a reward back more than what I planted. We need to be able to take in consideration when we think about our sin and, you know, and say, God, help me not to sin. I don't want the consequences of sin. I don't want to have to have all these things. And we look at this, and it's true. We're facing that problem. And be aware that God always has that consequence, and it may not be earthly consequences. 
ultimately, we stand before God. Christians stand before Jesus, lost before God at the White Throne Judgment. Everybody standing at the White Throne Judgment is guilty. They're going to hell. The White Throne Judgment is where Satan and the demons are going to stand before him, and they're going to be made to bow, they're going to be made to declare that he is Lord, and they're going to be cast into the lake of fire for eternity as well at that point. And we want to keep this in mind, he goes, because the sentence against the evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set to do evil. And we just talked about this. People seem to get away with it, and the more they seem to get away with it, the more they try to do evil, and the worse they get. And, you know, one thing about this, if you ever talk to people, maybe you've been there yourself, walking in the evil paths, you realize you're not getting away with anything. You always have the twinge of conscience somewhere once in a while. And, you know, one of the things that happen to people, many times when we witness to somebody, we think we didn't get anything, you know, we didn't get anywhere, they just laughed at us, they didn't, didn't pay any attention to us. But, you know, oftentimes when they're at home, alone, and it's quiet, and the Holy Spirit starts whispering in their ears, what if they're right? You know, I know you thought they were crazy, you thought they were insane, but what if they're right? Testimony after testimony that I've heard of people have said this, that they were sitting at home and God just spoke to them. What if what they said is right? And make them think. We don't know, you don't know what impact you're having on people's lives. We fill these boxes for the kids. We don't know the impact that we're going to have around the world, and we won't know, especially in those cases, until heaven. You may not even know the people you talk to, but if you know them, they're around town eventually when they get saved. You know who they're going to look for? Us crazy people who told them that God loves them and had a way for them to go to heaven. They're going to look for us and say, you know, you, you did it. You know, your words impacted me. Your life impacted me. The way that you didn't treat people the way they deserved impacted me. And we as Christians are supposed to live out God's love and mercy and grace before people. Now, we're not the greatest examples. We're not perfect. But, you know, when we love people and we show kindness to people who don't deserve it, it touches their heart. You know, because they know they don't deserve what they're getting when they get kindness. Initially, they're going to think, well, what do they want? What do they want from me? And when you just prove that it is just God's love being shown to them, it makes them think. It makes them know that there's something different out there. When we show grace, they don't understand it. When we're loving and kind to them, when, they don't, when they're being mean and nasty to us, they don't understand it. You know, Jesus gave us a real easy thing to do, love your enemies. You know, we know that's, that's, every one of us can do that real easy. That's something we have no problem with, right? Uh, no, we have a hard time with it. But it does impact their life. When we're showing love and kindness to them, it makes an impact on them. Why would they do that? How can it work? And we see this. And then he gets this last couple of verses. He says something very interesting. He says, just because we do good things does not mean we're going to be blessed and have a long life in this world. And just because we do evil things does not mean we're going to have a short life in this world. And that's something that's very hard, and we hear those complaints all the time. 
why did this person so young that was following God have to die? I don't know. Nobody can answer that for you. Why is this really awful, miserable, terrible person living to be 90 years old? I don't know. <laughs> you know I don't know. God's trying to reach their heart. Yes, they deserve to have died at an early age because of their sin. But you know, God's loving kindness allows them to live long enough to be able to hear the gospel message several times. Whereas somebody who dies young and you know, seems to be a really good person and following Christ dies at a young age. Why? I don't know. Sometimes they get lifted up as a, as a picture of how to die for Christ. You know, we don't know why it is. But I can tell you one thing. God knows why. God knows why he takes some young and takes some old. He is in absolute control of everything that goes on. And he already knows what's going to happen. And we've talked about this. God knows the beginning from the end. Why? Because he is in the beginning and the end. All right? God is in outside of time. He has all of time inside him. He is with us now. He is already at the millennial kingdom, and he is with Adam and Eve right now. We can't comprehend how he can do that, but just believe that he's outside of time. Time means nothing to God. When he tells and looks for what's going to happen in the future, he's not predicting the future. He's writing a report on the history and saying, this is what's going to happen because I've already been there, I already know, and I'm there now. He knows the future. When he puts us through something and we're being tested and tried to build our strength, he knows, and this would be when we go, God, I'd see nothing good out of what you've done. He goes, just wait 30 years. In 30 years, you'll see why this was an important event in your life. Or 10 years, or 20 years, or six months. He goes, just wait. There's a reason for it. And you know, sometimes that reason might not even be for our good. It may be me standing up, enduring hardship for Christ, with Christ, and other people looking on and saying, now that's what a Christian is supposed to be. You know, that is a faithful person and being strengthened by what we went through. And we won't see some of those until we get to heaven. When God says, see, this is, you went through this so that this person <laughs> could, could grow and get strong. And I've shared with you, in my office there hangs a sign saying, what is the value of a, one soul? This is where I'm going to end. What is the value of one soul? What would you be willing to have God put you through so that one person could go to heaven? If you're a Christian, you're going to heaven, you know you're going to heaven, but what would you allow God to put you through so that one person could go to heaven? I really want people to think about that, because I think about that a lot. That's why I put it up on my wall. What am I willing to go through so that one can go to heaven? Paul was willing to go through shipwrecks and beatings and tortures and all the things that he went through so that people could go to heaven. For us, what are we wanting for? We're going to close. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you or listening on the Internet that doesn't know you, Lord, we ask that they will 
accept you today. They will admit that they're a sinner. They will repent and turn away from their sin and ask you to come into their heart and be, be their Lord and Savior. Lord, for all those that are Christians that are listening to this, we ask today, Lord, help us to really concentrate on what we are willing to, to go through so that you can reach one. And Lord, help us to make that decision to seek after that and to serve you in all, with all of our heart, all of our cares, to live with what you want. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.